Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 017. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast. You know who you have today. It's Dr. Mike Bug, Dr. Jonathan Light, in for another amazing episode. Mikey, how you doing? I'm doing well. I like that intro, Johnny. I like it. it made me smile. We got to switch it up sometimes, right? Yeah. You bet. Just like the weather in Saskatoon. Tell oh. us a little bit about what a snowstorm looks like in Saskatchewan. Wow. We got hammered with snow. Uh, yeah, for listeners that don't know where I am, I am in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. We got about two and a half feet, I think, something like that. And then the drifts, the drifts are the like four feet of like rock hard snow. The whole city basically shut down. And we were laughing about this. The last snowstorm to this degree that we had was in 2007, back when we were both in vet school. And I remember this, that snowstorm was like middle of the day and the university just closed and they're like, get home. If you don't leave now, you probably won't be able to get home. And I know we snuck back to, uh, to my uh, house and uh, had a little bit of a party. I can't remember what day of the week it was, but it was like a middle of the week snow day. It was awesome. It was so good. Snow day 2007. Now you and I weren't at the same party at the end of the day. We were talking about this in pre-recording. Man, was that a good day. That day will go down for the rest of our lives. No doubt about yeah. it. And I have um, in one of my rental properties, by pure coincidence, I have a first year vet student um, that had reached out to me back. I think it was in the summertime and, and they moved in, her and her roommate. And I texted them uh, this weekend when the blizzard was coming and then again Monday morning. And I just said, welcome to Saskatoon with a big smiley face. And I asked you where they're from. Where are they from? Uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. I think it, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was Kelowna. So BC, um, I don't think they've dealt with four feet snow drifts across their driveway on a Monday morning before. Guarantee it. Oh, that's so good. So many good memories coming back. Well, that is a great share for a little bit of banter to start off this episode. Before we get into our guest's bio, Mike, why don't you run us through today's quick tip? Yeah, so this quick tip surfaced in the conversation that we just had. Really good uh, segue that we went into. And today's quick tip is you teach people how to treat you. And so you'll see when we get into the episode, we have a bit of a conversation around veterinarians and clients. And it's so important to remember that you are always teaching and you're always training people how they're going to treat you. And if you accept sort of unruly or disrespectful behavior, that's what they're going to continue to give you. So that would be today's quick tip. 
It sounds like you're talking to me from a parenting perspective with my five and three-year-old as well. Man, this could just go across so many facets of life. Well, let's keep it on touch here. Okay, excellent. Love the quick tip. And with that, let's get to our guest today, Dr. Lauren Edelman. So Dr. Lauren Edelman, she earned her veterinary degree from the University of Calgary in 2012, where she was part of the inaugural class and actually the first person to walk across the stage upon graduation. She let us know after our and podcast recording today. Just to destroy your flow here, but literally the very first person ever to graduate from Calgary because she's in the first year and early in the alphabet. That's so cool. Totally cool. Something she'll be able to tell her grandkids about one day. So following graduation, she completed a small animal rotating internship at VCA West Los Angeles Animal Hospital, followed by a one-year specialty internship in emergency and critical care at North Carolina State University. She then moved on to Knoxville, where she completed a three-year small animal internal medicine residency at the University of Tennessee. She received diplomat status in American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine Specialty of Small Animal Internal Medicine in 2017. Lauren is currently practicing at Canada West Veterinary Specialists in Vancouver, BC. Her particular areas of interest include gastroenterology, nephrology, and urology with infectious disease. She's trained to perform a variety of -of state-of-the-art, minimally invasive procedures. We had a fantastic conversation learning all about what it means to be an internal med specialist, the amount of effort, time it took for her to get through both two internships and then into her residency and really giving up 12 years of her life um, from a social perspective and all of the other undertakings and her want and desire to finish that. We then move into some of her minimally invasive procedures before walking into some of the struggles, you know, in dealing with cases, high number of caseloads, our clients, as well as in particular COVID-19 and continuing to move through curbside. It was a great conversation. Lauren has a great personality and is very open to sharing both the highs and the lows in her specialty. So with that, we're happy to have her on the podcast today. Please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Lauren Edelman. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We are excited to get into this conversation. And I figured a great place to start would be a little bit about your background and how you've gotten into the specialty that you now find yourself in. So I am currently an internal medicine specialist. And I didn't actually know that specialty medicine existed when I went to that school. Um, I didn't even necessarily know I wanted to be a veterinarian until I was, you know, in university, I would say I knew I wanted to work with animals, but not a vet. Um, and then when I was in vet school, I started to realize as these professors were coming in, uh, who were specialized in oncology and in all these different things that, you know, wow, there's actually this whole realm of specialty medicine. And I am like, oh, I hate hate to admit it, but I am like one of those people who wants to be the best at something. (laughs) And so not only was it like, yeah, I really, really like internal medicine, but also that I would rather know a lot about one thing than know 
um, you know, more breadth of knowledge. So for me, knowing a lot about one thing is really helpful. And it, obviously, then I got into internal medicine, and I'm like, oh, crap, I only know like this much surface about internal medicine. <laughs> and you're going to spend the next 30 years trying to get that super deep aspect of internal medicine. Now, jumping back into that from a school perspective, you had said, you know, you have oncologists, internal medicine specialists, et cetera. What year in school was it that you went, hmm, I could, I could be interested in diving down a specialty or at least looking at that as a route? I think probably it was third year. Uh, because third year, you know, first year, second year is a lot of anatomy, basic physiology, you know, you're getting the core of veterinary medicine. And then third year was really when we started to dive into the medicine aspect of things, you know, we started learning large animal, small animal medicine, um, the clinical aspect. So that was probably when I started to become exposed to specialty medicine. And then in my fourth year, I chose at the University of Calgary um, to do a clinical track in investigative medicine, where I spent a lot of time working with um, one of the oncologists at the care center. And that's when I really kind of fell in love with the idea of specialty medicine, seeing how a specialty hospital works. And that's when I decided to apply for an internship. And your internship was a rotating internship or was it specific to, to internal medicine? So I actually ended up doing two internships. Um, so I first matched um, for a rotating small animal internship at VCA West Los Angeles Animal Hospital, which is, you know, the mother, as you know, the mothership VCA. Yes. Um, and so that was like a whirlwind, learned so much during that internship. How many interns at the same year as you? So we started off, with 10 of us just at VCA West LA, but we were actually there during the year that they moved from the old hospital to the new hospital. And when we moved, we combined with a, a hospital next door. And so we actually had a ended up with a combined intern class. I think there were 16 of us. Just a massive, massive, three yeah. buildings, if I remember correctly, into the new. Yeah, set. it was like huge floors. Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. Like um, its own parking lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, huge hospital. Yeah. And looking at that, you went through that rotating internship. What happened afterwards and what made the decision to go into a second internship? So basically what happened during that year is I actually went into my internship year thinking I wanted to do oncology. I realized that I more so just loved the person who I worked with, uh, who was an oncologist and like idolized her. And I was like, I want to be her. But then as I got into my internship year and started actually practicing medicine myself, I was like, no, I like the puzzle. I like internal medicine. I like the aspects of, you know, figuring out the case, like the doctor house of veterinary medicine. Um, and so that's when I applied for internal medicine residencies. And I had the disappointment of not matching my first year. Um, but I was contacted by North Carolina State University. Their internal medicine program reached out to me and said, hey, we really, really liked you. We thought you were an awesome, strong candidate. We don't understand how you didn't match. And that's a whole other conversation. Lots of people don't match who deserve to match. Um, but we'd like to offer you an emergency critical care specialty internship. And I was like, that's weird. Like, why would I do that instead of doing a internal medicine 
specialty internships. And there was lots of internal medicine, like private practice, specialty internships, not so many on the academic side, I would say. Um, but as I talked to them, they were like, look, our, if you know North Carolina State, you know they're also like the gurus of everything critical care. Like they are, you know, and so they do a ton of work up there. You know, they work very, you know, very closely with the internal medicine service. And they were basically like, look, if you come here, you will be exposed to so much internal medicine. You will have a really strong foundation in critical care, which is also important for internal medicine. And you'll be at one of the most renowned, you know, academic yep. institutions. institutions. Yep. So I took a chance and I was like, sure, I'll go be an emergency and critical care intern. Yes. How long in between the time that you did not match and the time that that conversation happened, did that take? And what was that swing for you? Because you've got everything resting on matching in that first year. And I bring that up because you said so many great candidates don't match. Yeah. And it's those next steps that really can define your career or completely change it if you so let it. What did you do in that in-between period? So the first thing I did was I cried. <laughs> it was the first time in my life I had faced like a rejection, truly. Like I had always been this high achiever, like top of the class, you know, and it was the first time in my life that I was being told no. So that was like a big honestly something I'm really happy I faced because it was a huge hit to the ego, which I think really, really motivated me moving forward. Um, so after I cried for a day, I started getting emails from various people because I do think I was a strong candidate. So I did, you know, UC Davis reached out and they were like, we don't know how this happened. Like, this is what we would recommend. So there was a lot of people that were really encouraging out there, including my mentors at um, VCA. And I spoke to in the it really, it was very quick during the few days that followed the lack of match. I spoke to various people in private practice. Um, University of Guelph was trying to arrange for maybe a second resident position. There was like all these puzzle pieces moving. And at the end of the day, I just kind of realized that I think that the best, I wanted to put myself in a position where I felt the following year would be would make me the best candidate for a residency. And I just felt that North Carolina state position was going to put me at the top of the pile. Excellent. And Laura, Before we go, sorry, oh, can I jump in? Was sure that, can. was the emergency and critical care on your radar at all? Or were you like, no, yeah, absolutely not. I guess they have a kind of a little history at North Carolina where if there are really good candidates that don't match and, you know, and the emergency critical care team doesn't necessarily have super high top picks for their critical care. They work with, you know, internal medicine. So internal medicine basically said, look, we have this candidate that we ranked super high. She ended up not matching. Like you should consider her on that side. And so they contacted me, which I think actually looking back is like insane and great. Yeah. Very that's cool. what I was like kind of laughing about is it wasn't even on your radar comes out of left field and yeah. has, has kind of like, pointed your career in this awesome direction that's so cool yeah it was awesome and i think it was the right move because a i was exposed to an insane amount of knowledge there b i suddenly had this leg up on the rest of the competition like you know having been on the other side looking at people who have applied for residencies that have done specialty internships or second internships you know you want someone who stands out a lot of people end up doing specialty or second you know specialty internships and unfortunately nowadays it doesn't really mean a whole lot and so the fact you know that i applied with like this really strong critical care background i essentially had my pick of the the litter that second time that i applied and i got my first choice which was university of tennessee 
what I'm trying to figure out here is also the in-between time period where you were rejected. You had to go through your period of, of, of not feeling good about that, but then you have all these puzzle pieces moving towards that success at North Carolina of getting in. You must've been doing some things behind the scenes. You must've made relationships that had had some substance to that. For those that don't get internships or those that might be listening here and saying, hey, I want to go the same route as Lauren, what would you recommend? Because I see lots of people that just apply or put their application in but haven't done all this work behind the scenes. You must have done some work behind the scenes to make things possible. It doesn't just happen. So I, unfortunately, like I didn't have a ton of money either when I was interviewing for internships or residencies to go visit places. Um, I ended up visiting like my first year, I, I only ended up visiting Davis because it was the closest one that I could visit. But it, because I couldn't travel, like a lot of people will go visit 10 places. I'm like, how do you have the money to do that? I don't know. I'm an intern. Um, but I emailed, I booked FaceTime at the time. I don't think Zoom was saying, you know, interviews. I really made those connections in other ways and asked my mentors where I was from school to reach out. And so when I didn't match, I had this network that I could then reach out to and say, hey, have you heard of anything? And it kind of, I think, helped me get back on my feet after that. Excellent. So you were still in the game, like you were still making yeah. as many moves as you could. And when you have came- to prepare, yeah, you have to prepare for failure in those situations. Unfortunately, we just don't have that many spots for specialty medicine. So you have to have a backup plan. Excellent. So then you go and do your second internship and you make the choice to go down to Tennessee. Why make that choice? So I was, it was between North Carolina and Tennessee for me. I love North Carolina. Um, I still have great uh, relationships from there and faculty who I see at the ACVM conferences and like the super special relationships. Um, and I would have been happy with either, to be honest. Um, but I always like trying new things. And the nice thing about Tennessee is, A, it was close. I didn't feel like moving back across the country again. But also it was the best for me. I really like GI medicine. And there was this powerhouse of like female faculty that were super into GI there that I was told by a lot of the other internal medicine specialists, even at um, North Carolina, that like, they're like, you would do really well there. You know, there's these, it's a really female empowered, like really great uh, team. Yeah. Young female faculty. And it was like, it was great. Excellent. So lots of energy. You're there for the next three years. Enjoy yourself. And come out with your specialty. So you finish your residency, go to write your exam. You finish up in 2017, I believe. Yeah, I actually like, I had to pre-sell my car to use the money to pay for my board exam. (laughs) Cause no one gives you money to pay for boards. They don't tell you this type of thing. Like the colleges are like, here, spend like five grand on boards when you're only getting paid, you know, 25 grand a year. So I like pre-sold my car, paid for boards, wrote boards, stressful, most stressful time of my life, hands down, most stressful time of my life. And you and I didn't know each other yet, but had you already signed your contract to come back to Calgary? Yeah. So I signed, I wanted ideally to sign early because I didn't want to have the stress of looking for a job while I was studying for boards. So I actually signed the the fall going into my third year I was the first of all the residents that signed a contract and I knew I wanted to come home at that point I had been away for you know five years in the U.S. in very different places to where I grew up you know southern U.S. 
Um, and although I loved it, I just needed that feeling of home. Like I was, I was a bit homesick by the end. So I knew where I wanted to be and uh, reached out to Calgary and there's two specialty hospitals in Calgary and basically just said, who wants me? Someone's taking me. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. yep, made that happen. Now, looking back at it, for those that are going through the same process, because this is a conversation in my previous role, we would have every single year is when to make that choice, when to start looking at seriously at contracts, you know, coming into your third year, do I wait, do I do it early? Do I wait until, you know, I've, I've had a chance to visit a few hospitals and, or do I wait till after my board exam? And, and what I found for the most part was people wanted to do it early, but not as early as you did. Looking back at it now, are you happy? And this has nothing to do with the, the, the employer that you decided to go with IEBCA, but are you happy you made that choice from a stress standpoint, dollars in the bank standpoint, et cetera? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I was, cause I, I mean, I'm a, I was studying in the fall already, you know, prepping and just to have that off my plate was super nice. And honestly, like, I mean, I also feel like maybe I was in a different situation because I knew where I wanted to be. A lot of my resumes were like, I could go here, I could go there. So they looked at a lot of different places, but my decision was easy. I knew I wanted to be back in Calgary and uh, I knew there was two hospitals and I had experienced being and working at both of them. I did my final year of vet school mostly at care and I, you know, my, my, uh, before that I spent a lot of time at Western and rotations at Western. So I was happy with either. Excellent. Mike, any questions there before I go? I do. And I, I don't want to uh, take us down too long of a tangent because we could probably spend a whole conversation on it. Can you touch on like the whole internship and residency that was, that's five years of your life and especially coming up to boards, you had said that was the most stressful time of my life. So I, I personally, I haven't done internships and residencies for, for listeners that might be students currently thinking about pursuing that path. Can you just touch on that? Like that most mm -hmm. stressful, like, what does that mean? What are you going through? W what does your life look like as a resident making 25 grand a year or whatever it is? Yeah. So for five years of my life, um, I pretty much only worked when I wasn't working, like you get very few vacations, so I missed a lot of family functions. Um, I barely had weekends off. Um, you know, you're up all hours of the night as a resident taking calls. Um, you're also learning like an insane amount. Like the amount I probably learned in that five years would be probably the equivalent of like 20 years in feral practice or something, just because you're like literally eating, breathing, living veterinary medicine my resident mates were my family, which is some, one of the best parts about it. Like we literally like your family, that, that is who you're, that's who you live with. That's who you, you know, you love, you love each other. And the most stressful time was studying for boards for sure. I had like stress colitis every day. Like it was terrible. Um, in general, it was stressful, but at the same time, like I, I know I make it sound like it's like this horrible experience, but like looking back on it now, I'm like, I am so happy I did that. First of all, like it was a sacrifice. It was like looking at my friends, looking at people who didn't pursue that. They're, they go right in, they're making good money, they're paying off their debt. Like I was accumulating debt. I wasn't paying off debt. And I was early. I finished uh, residency at 29. I turned 30 the day I found out about boards. And so, you know, I was a young one in terms of residency, but still, I didn't feel like my other life really started until 
I was done. Great so answer. Sacrifice. Yeah. Yep. Sacrifice, sacrifice. But, but like in the end, super happy I did it. It did just delay. It did delay my life by like five years though. Yeah, no. And that's great. I just, I think it's important that people have the awareness, know what they're getting into, you know, and then they can make their own decision. And, and you have to, you have to want it. Cause I saw a lot of people either fall out of internship or after internship, internship decide not to do residency. You have to want to be a specialist. You have to love your, your specialty to survive because it's way too much work to not have that motivation. So the only thing motivating at me at the end was knowing that I was going to be a, a dip, a diplomat. Nice. So now moving into 2020, Lauren, you're at the top of your game. You're working at Ken West in Vancouver and something that I thought really stood out in our pre-call was talking about minimally invasive procedures and what you get to now do as an internal medicine specialist. Share with our listeners, you know, for all those that aren't watching, she just got a big smile on her face. You can tell she loves doing what she's doing. What does that look like in the day-to-day life now for Lauren? Yeah, so I, I'm super grateful. I mean, my training, internal medicine is so different depending where you train. It can be more the traditional, just, you know, medical side of things. You can delve into the minimally invasive side. There are some internists like at AMC who mostly do minimally invasive. So I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle. I choose which minimally invasive I, I like to do. And most of the minimally invasive that I do is um, on the renal urinary side of things. Uh, we all scope scoping's the best, you know, if we always say as an internist, um, if there's a hole, we can scope it. <laughs> there's a hole, I can put my scope in. Um, so that's great. You know, my day is a mixture of seeing consult, doing the medical side of things, doing the workups, and then doing these, these procedures, including these minimally invasive procedures, um, like some of the cool things I do, like sclerotherapy, which I brought to Western Canada, um, you know, ureteral, ureteral stenting, tracheal stenting, in addition to the, the bre- uh, bread and butter scoping, like bronchoscopy, cystoscopy, GI endoscopy. Excellent. Now, where you are in Vancouver, do you find there's quite an appetite for that? Or has it taken some education since you've arrived? Because you've been there now, is it two years already? Yeah, I've been here almost two years. And same with my experience going into Calgary. It's like, as soon as people know that it exists, they'll start sending cases. But definitely, education is key. And I think like, I mean, the fact that I didn't know about these things till I was, you know, in my internship and residency, there's a lot of general practitioners out there that just don't know that these things exist. So, you know, when I get a referral for urinary stones for, let's say, the most common referral I get is urinary stones and male dogs and people want them lasered. And, you know, that's me picking up the phone and and talking to the vet and saying, that doesn't really happen because that's just, you know, it's not something that we are a generally able to do or B there's so many better alternatives like these minimally invasive um, PCCLs, which I do, which now are, we have here in Vancouver for, for people to do. So a lot of education for sure. Um, and now it's hard too with uh, COVID times, not being able to do these like in-person seminars, but yeah, I totally want to get into that in a couple of minutes here and how, how you're dealing with COVID and, and the lack of ability to see a person, you know, face to face. If we look at what you've been able to do in the last two years, you know, I follow you on Instagram, social media presence, you're in Vancouver. What does that look like? I know you and I have had these conversations before of getting yourself out into the public and and educating and awareness and, and 
tell us a little bit more about what that looks like to you. Yeah. So, well, my, my colleagues always make fun of me. They're like, here comes Lauren. She's the influencer of us. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not. I actually find it hard sometimes to make the time to do Instagram and things like that, which I, I really enjoy, but you know, life is so busy. Um, but yeah, part of what I've loved to do is just being able to interact and educate the public. And I grew up as a child actress. Uh, I thought I wanted to be an actress before I was a veterinarian. And um, so I, I do like being in front of the camera. And I like, uh, you know, I like that. So I kind of created at Canada West a role for myself as uh, a me like a media liaison, I guess I would say. Um, and so we try and get ahead of things, you know, when we know something, especially, you know, we during COVID or other issues that come out, you know, we work with a PR team that you know, does media releases to allow us to be, you know, as the special, you know, the largest specialty center in Vancouver, it allows us to be at the forefront to educate the public to make sure, you know, they're getting expert advice from the experts. You know, you, if, if we have the news that's talking about COVID and infectious diseases, it's Fauci on the news. It's not, you know, you know, your general practitioner. And so I think that it's really important that also the public is aware specialty medicine exists, like we exist. And I think that's a huge curve that's happened in the last five, 10 years is owners asking for a referral, owners asking for these minimally invasive procedures that they've read about, like PCCLs. Like it's crazy how much owners are educating themselves now. Excellent. When you went into Vancouver, was that a role that existed? Was there a different doctor doing it? Or was this starting from scratch? So uh, Cam West has always had like some role in the media and they have always had a PR team. They do media training for their doctors. So I was a part of a group of like four doctors this year that media trained with, um, his name's Alan Edwards. He's an old, uh, uh retired, old. <laughs> he's a retired uh, news anchor, um, that, uh, that now owns a PR company and he's awesome. So he trains us. He like puts us in front of the camera, grills us like, you know, and it, it is, it is cool, but I had definitely created a, a more more of a centralized role for like the common topics you know when we have cool cases the doctor in charge of the case is going to be the one talking to the media but for, for like the general topics I'm your girl right now so you're the girl Kit. Okay. so we're reaching out uh I bring that up and and I figured that was going to be your answer but I wanted to ask because even leaving Calgary moving to Vancouver what that looked like that was already on your horizon for potentials even before you had moved that was a discussion we have which I thought was mm -hmm. great as I've watched you progress now the last two years uh seen you on the news etc it's happened so I give kudos to you because you were okay. you were you actioned that forward and you made it happen as far mm -hmm. as I can see right now and you never mm -hmm. know where that goes from there uh the flip side of Instagram is it can be alluring because it shows everything that's good and nothing that's bad. It doesn't, it, it tends to allow us to hide our weaknesses and or our struggles. You're in a hard specialty. I know that from having worked with multiple internal medicine specialists, you guys are, are, are or can be on call 24 hours a day. There is a large amount of communication needed between the patient, the client and the, the specialist. And sometimes you're getting third and fourth case in where, you know, we might be at the end of the ropes and the owner still wants to do more. And it can be hard because there's often no answers to what they're looking for. Um, tell me, tell us a little bit about, you know, the things behind the scenes, Instagram wise, where, you know, you're trying to maintain life balance, but 
it's all encompassing. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a hard profession. And I think the specialty I chose is hard. And I try to be <clears throat> somewhat apparent on my Instagram. Like I don't hide anything. I'm definitely not doing these like photo shoots where I'm, you know, all happy. I posted a, you know, a, a real thing a few days ago being like, I'm sleeping exhausted. Um, I almost said it. Uh, As you were allowed. <laughs> But uh, no, it's hard. I work, you know, people are like, oh, you only work four days a week. That's great. I'm like, yeah, I work four days a week, but like 12 or 13 hour days. Like I have no pre or post work time. I come home, I'm exhausted. Luckily, I have a boyfriend who makes dinner and, you know, I'm, I'm a kept woman from that standpoint. But but no, it's hard. And yeah, you're right. You know, like my job specifically, I very rarely get to be the hero. You know, the surgeons always say to us, like, why do you guys do what you do? At least we get to come in and fix something. You guys are just kind of like helping, but sometimes not. And then you're having to explain, you know, it's, I always say to people, it's like Dr. House, but you never get the answer five minutes from the end of the episode. It's just like, well, it's, it is. It's like, oh, I'll try this. Uh, I'll try that. Maybe it'll help. And you know, I do cherish the fact that we give these animals, you know, quality of life. In some cases, we don't and we have to make that hard decision. But yeah, it's emotionally taxing. And, you know, especially with us, like you, the big thing you highlighted is that our communication, I spend hours every day on the phone with owners, you know, that's in addition to doing my paperwork and actually working up the cases, you know, and you're explaining these really complicated situations to owners that, it can be, and here in Vancouver, a lot of the time there's also language barriers. So it's like, <laughs> like pile on pile. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Like I would say, like I have experienced emotional burnout and compassion, not necessarily compassion fatigue, but emotional burnout several times in my career. How do you, like, you're only three years out from finishing your residency. Have you started to find mechanisms by which you can maintain some sense of sanity when you're feeling overwhelmed? Well, I think the first thing that I'm starting to learn, which I'm still have not mastered is the art of saying no, which I think is the biggest thing as an internal medicine specialist, you know, that saying no, like I can't talk to you today. Or if, you know, an owner who I haven't seen for six months wants advice, like you have to book a recheck because I need that time dedicated to talk to you everyone thinks you know oh i've seen you once i can just speak directly to the doctor like if you think about the human medicine side of things you try to talk to your cardiologist good luck you know like and so i think in veterinary medicine we really haven't created these boundaries yet that really need to exist to protect us because you know i think it's really hard to have give clients and owners 100 percent access to us at all times and it just it makes it impossible to deal with the cases that are right in front of us. So saying no has been a really big problem for me and I'm trying to do it more often. Excellent. What do you do to empower your team around you to also help you not be your own worst nightmare when you know you want to pick up that phone and have that hour conversation? Yeah. So I'm very lucky. I work with a great team. I mean, each doctor basically has an assistant and a technician assigned to them, but we work as a general team with the three internal medicine specialists at CanWest. Um, so I, you know, I also delegating, like I am a perfectionist, so I do like to do everything myself, but I've had to learn how to delegate. And when you have a team you can trust, that's huge. Um, so when you have a team that's not constantly turning over, that can be really helpful. 
Um, but I just try and, you know, everyone always says to me, they're like, even when you're angry, you're happy. I'm like, really? I don't feel that way. But everyone always says to me, like, you're always positive. You're like, you're like, you know, a light, you know? So I think having people enjoy working with you can be also very helpful. Like I have my bad days for sure. Um, but making sure as a team, you're joking around, like we're always joking around, we're, you know, playing games, singing songs, like, I'm not always happy, but I try and make the time that I'm, you know, doing things a positive experience. Excellent. And you end up spending more time at work than you do at home. So those relationships that you formed with your team, they, ma- they, they matter in a big way. And yeah, you could be having a swear fest inside the, inside your head, but if you yeah. can yeah, provide positivity and, and sometimes you have to keep that on the inside. Now, that being said, though, COVID's thrown a complete wrench in all specialty medicine, let alone GP practice, all veterinary clinics. It's made us busier, but then you don't have the function of being able to see people day to day in person. And when we had spoken last, you guys were still on pure curbside appointment only. Is that still the case? Still the case. Um, Our hospital, just being a large specialty practice, the number of people that would come through our hospital at every day, hundreds and hundreds, like the risk of exposure, I think is just quite high. So we are sticking to curbside because we have found that, you know, the system that we've created has worked. Um, We have, you know, hundreds of people inside the hospital that we need to worry about. So it it does allow for that. Now in saying that, um, there are are perks and, and, you know, there are definitely downsides to it. The the benefits is that, you know, I find the consultations can go a little bit quicker because you call them on the phone, you set up the, you know, you let them know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You get them the estimate. We're in, we're going. Um, the downside is one of the main parts of what I love about, especially about internal medicine, which is that long relationship, that long standing relationship you create with owners. If the, with the new clients, I don't have that. With the clients I've been seeing for a year and a half, sure, I know what they're like and, you know, we have that relationship, but the new clients, it's hard not having a face to that voice I'm hearing on the phone. Are you doing any virtual consults or virtual talks via Zoom, et cetera, to try and bridge some, that? Yeah, some. It's just with the, with the, especially with what I do, you know, I just feel like Zoom can be a bit more time consuming. So I do a lot of phone consults and the callbacks are on phone right now. Um, but yeah, I'd like to try and do a bit more of that. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Like when you're meeting an owner for the first time in the euthanasia tent that you've been dealing with for eight months, it's like, hey, sorry to meet you this way. You know, it's it's terrible. And that has been really, really hard for me. Um, is, you know, I think a lot of, there are veterinarians out there that are like, yeah, we don't have to see patients, you know. But for me, that's actually a part of the job that I love. So. No, completely true. When you look going forward, is there anything from the COVID experience thus far in specialty medicine specific that you think is going to hold going forward from your perspective? I think um, a lot more, like not necessarily for new consultations, but especially for like rechecks and, you know, where we're just checking blood work and we could call the owner a lot more kind of textile or drop off appointments where we're not sitting in the room for rechecks because I think that's, it's definitely helping with efficiency. And we are, yeah, we're so busy right now. Like it's crazy right now, you know, and that's the the hard part of saying no is like right now we have like a month long wait for new consoles and some of those are urgent. Um, so, you know, they can always come to our emergency, but it's really hard telling people like, look, not only is my schedule full, but it's like overbooked and bursting at the seams. And I'm emotionally and like psychologically like 
I'm bursting at the seams. So like, I can't say yes. Yeah. Good luck getting another ultrasound in. Exactly. Really tough. Mike, any questions before we move forward? I mean, um, yeah, I just hearing about like the volume, you know, like, can you give me a sense? Cause I've never, I have never worked in a hospital of this size. Like how, how many patients do you see in a day? Like how many cases do you have on the go at a time? Yeah. So like my average day, like we actually have switched to a model now between the three internists where one person is in charge of all the inpatients because it got to be too much to have inpatients on top of our consult days. Cause you have like, you know, eight or 10 patients coming in per day for your consult days. And then all of a sudden you have inpatients. So now, you know, we, we've separated it out a bit, but for me, I would say the average is like eight to 10 per day. And that's including like procedures, some are rechecks, some are drop-offs, some are full workups. So that's, it's a lot. Um, and like right now, I just looked at our smart flow. We can check from home, smart flow to see what I'm obviously stalking one of my patients who I'm off today, but obviously stalking to see how he's doing. Um, like, I think there's like our ICU is like almost permafull right now. So, um, you know, there's, I think like probably like at least 30 patients in the hospital right now. And just to be clear for everybody that doesn't understand, these aren't vaccine appointments that take 10, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Every internal med specialist consult, I believe, is what, hour and a half, two hours, depending on the internal medicine specialist. And that's without yeah. getting the procedure included and the yeah. notes, which are you know gargantuan. I notes. would, yeah, I would say I come in early every day to prep my cases or the night before. It takes about an hour to go through all the, the referring veterinarian notes. Then you have the consult. Then you have figuring out it's like each case probably is easily three to four hours all in all. So like you don't have 40 hours in a day, you know, for 10 cases that gets spread to my days off or at night or it, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And it sorry, sorry, I guess I do have another follow up on that. What are you seeing from the clients, you know, cause they will not understand this, right? When they show up with their one pet, this is the only pet that matters in this moment to them. You know, they don't understand that you have 40 hours of your day already booked and this is another add-on. So how do you like communicate that to them? So generally, you know, I try and let people know when I'm squeezing them in now, you know, I'm like, Hey, like I am fully booked, but I'll squeeze you in. Just understand it's a drop off. I probably won't be able to call you until tomorrow. You know, setting up expectations, I think is huge. Um, because if clients' expectations are not set, then they will be disappointed. So, you know, nowadays, when I would love to call you same day with blood work results, that's just not going to happen. So unless it's something that I see needs to be contacted, you know, it's like, okay, I'll call you tomorrow or the next day. And I would say majority of patients are understanding. Um, but right now, for sure, the COVID climate has led people to be quite emotional. I have more times in my life in the last like six months had to tell people, I'm not going to continue this conversation unless you, you know, change your tone or you calm down than I have before. So people um, are highly emotionally charged and they don't realize how hard we're working and how hard we're trying to do what we're doing to help their animals. And I think, you know, the more we can get that education out there too, which I try and do, like let people know your vets are busting their asses right now like try and be patient with them um but yeah people are emotionally on fire right now yeah you hear that across the board and i can only imagine that in your guys' situation and it's even uh, from my time especially it's ramped up because people are paying thousands of dollars 
these cases aren't inexpensive. They've already been triaged through, you know, sometimes two or three GPs before they get to you. They're already, they're, they're already upped. They're already like, yeah, they're like, we've been to four vets and we don't have answers. I'm like, okay, this is the first time you're seeing me. Like, let's just, you know, uh, and people, it's weird. I find that with veterinary medicine, people expect a an answer and be like a treatment and it's like I, I think there's like that disconnect between human medicine and veterinary medicine where it's like you, you realize medicine sometimes doesn't have that picture perfect you know present box bow wrapped on top and uh you know i think it's the learning curve but for people i've also been saying no a lot more in my life to, to the abuse that we take as veterinarians than ever before you know i think as veterinarians we don't draw that line that they do in human medicine where it's like hey if you're going to be a dick sorry you know we don't we accept that because we're like you're paying us money but i think the one thing i really appreciate about my hospital right now is that we don't put up with a lot of that like if you're going to be emotionally abusive to our staff or to our doctors you either have to change your attitude or you know go somewhere get out and yeah so i've been i the amount of uh you know, middle-aged men, I've been telling that they can't speak to me that way. That's probably the first time anyone's ever said that to them in their life, you know, but uh, it's, a, it's a problem in our industry. Yep. I agree with you. I think also COVID has brought that to light in a more transparent manner that I'm hearing your conversation spread by many veterinarians right now, GP or specialists. And I love it because it's an, enough's enough. It's time that we represent ourselves and we don't take that just because we're veterinarians. We're all caring. We're humans, the same as anybody else. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Too busy. Well, on that note, I, we could continue on this conversation. I think this is going to be such an informative uh, uh, podcast episode for all those that are thinking about going down the specialty route, don't have a clue what an internal specialist does and learns a little bit more about yourself, Lauren. I think this is fantastic. Great opportunity. Um, but before we come to a close today, we have something called the impact round, which is a series of questions which are directed to you. you they can be short or as long as you'd like them. And our first question is, are you a cat or a dog person? dog but i really like working on cats we'll let that get by what do you think mike yeah it, it can slide true I or have false both. i have both <laughs> true or false i knew i wanted to be a veterinarian since i was a kid oh i didn't i uh, i loved animals since i was a kid i was obsessed with my dog but uh, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. And then, like I told you guys, it wasn't until university that I realized that I wanted to be a veterinarian. Very cool. How would your friends describe what you do for a living? Hard. <laughs> Hard. My friends see my friends see what I look like when I'm coming to a dinner party in my scrubs late at 8 p.m. You know, they my friends have the most respect for me out of anyone. I would say my friends and my family because they they see the hard side. What is your favorite hobby? What is my favorite hobby? <laughs> Eating? Does that count? You totally can. <laughs> like going to restaurants and trying new food. I've started uh, running recently, which has been an uh, exciting thing for me. But yeah, I would say like eating, socializing. I like puzzles too. But. Cool. What in this world are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for my friends and family, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Without them, it's 
I mean, nothing else really matters. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Lauren, this has been a pleasure. Uh, it's taken us a couple of months to make this happen, which I'm really yeah. excited about COVID busy schedules. Um, really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. I think a lot of people are going to learn and, uh, found this very entertaining. No doubt about it. Yep. Good. Glad to be here. Yeah. It's a reflection of my busy schedule. How long this took to get done. That's all right. When we, when we first put the podcast together, just as an aside, I told Mike, it is not easy to get specialists on and they are never consistent in terms of schedules because of the world, you, the, the life you guys live. And that's totally consistent and it's understandable. And yeah, appreciate you taking the hour out here. If people want to get a hold of you, of which I think they're going to after this episode, where should they reach out to speak with Lauren Edelman? Probably the best place would be my Instagram, which is uh, the underscore tiny vet. Perfect. Mike, any words of close? Just thank you so much. Yeah, it was an awesome conversation. I loved uh, the part at the end, you know, talking about not tolerating the behavior anymore from clients because like the work you do is, is hard, as you've said, and people should value that. So thank you so mm -hmm. much uh, for joining us. It was amazing. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Great conversation. I could talk forever. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Lauren, the conversation today, it ends with the last word going to you. What message would you like to leave for the veterinary community? Oh, that's a hard one. So I guess I would say being a veterinarian is challenging. You need to Take every opportunity that, pre that presents itself to you and take risks and chances for what you want. Work hard, love your patients, love your owners, but protect yourself and learn how to keep yourself healthy and happy while doing what you love. But there's no other job that I would do. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to theveterinaryprojectpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group general feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.